G'day, Nath here. Before we kick off the show, we just wanted to give a shout out to Dan, who does a great job with all of our graphics and music. Last week's story time about the Kardashian curse would not have been the same without him, so a very special thank you, Dan. Please check out the description to see his work, social media, and contact details. Alrighty, well, a lot going on as always. Let's get into it. This week on The Sport Blokes. This week, the dumpster fire continues in Brooklyn as Steve Nash is set free. A hectic round five in the NBL, and COVID absolutely belts me for six as the Cricket World Cup rolls on towards the semi-finals. Ah, yes, Joey, you've joined the club. Let's go. It's 6.51 on Thursday the 3rd of November, which to those that are paying very close attention will see that it is during the Wildcats, such as the commitment to the course. Yes, we'll have to be watching that one on replay. But before we get into what caught your attention and what you missed, I guess we've got to probably talk about uh, while we're recording remotely again, Stewie. It's been a couple of weeks. How are you doing? Unfortunately, uh, like most people now, I can say that I have had the vid. Yes. It's it's finally, finally got to me. It was, uh, yeah, nearly three years in the making. Not fun. I got the bad version. I didn't get the tiny sniffly nose and a couple of days in bed. I got the like the full week one. So not good. Yes, no, I feel you. I had some pretty tough days as well when I had it. So uh, yes, now you can yeah, relate. Yeah, that's true. That's true. We were, we're COVID twinsies effectively. We are now, yeah. Yep, it's another commodious COVID catch-up, isn't it? Is that with K's? Uh, yes, why not? Oh, and that brings me to a point, Stewie. Why do you think you caught COVID now? I mean, I clearly hugged the wrong person's girlfriend, <laughs> clearly. No, what I was going to say is, you're cursed. Oh, okay. Hey? Not yeah, a got, couple of days I, after we did the recording of last week's episode, and go back and listen if you haven't already, because it was a lot of good fun and we had a bit of story time too, you've been cursed by the Kardashian curse, Joey, just for talking about it. You got I got KO'd. Exactly, you got KO'd. That's what I got. Yeah, not fun. No. Not fun. Two out of ten, would not recommend. (laughs) Yes, no, me neither. Anyway, as we so often do, what caught your attention? What'd you miss? Well, I actually want to link back to the COVID thing and say that one of the things that really caught my attention this week was just the sheer debilitation and more specifically the lethargy that goes with the COVID. And we've been sort of talking about a whole bunch of different sports through COVID now for over a couple of years. And we've been tracking people coming back from COVID and players that didn't seem quite right after having it. And I think now that I've been through it, I actually have a fresh appreciation for it. Now, I tested positive on Thursday afternoon, roughly, and I played a 45-minute volleyball game on Tuesday night. Probably shouldn't have, but it was a semi-final, so I kind of needed to. And even just driving to the game, I was feeling really apprehensive about whether I'd be able to get through the game. And it was just a, a real concern. Now, we won the game. And as I said before, if it hadn't been a semi-final, probably would have sat the game out. But I've got a real appreciation for these professional athletes and guys that have come back from COVID and played professionally. The fatigue is real, isn't it? And the cough as well. The cough lasted for about six weeks for me after I had it. So, yeah, it's not fun. And I've seen plenty of things of people saying like, oh, I tried to go out for a run, you know, my first run post-COVID and I got back on the horse too early to mix metaphors. So, yeah, no, you do uh, feel for players. Bloody Matty Wade was going to play with it in the T20s at one point. Yeah. Yep. Which wouldn't have been easy. I mean, look, he might have had one of the very, very mild cases where he just had a tiny little cough and everything else was fine. But yeah, geez, I'll tell you what, as someone who's gone through the really, really achy version of it, that 45 minute game, I mean, I got through it okay, but it was, yeah, it was a bit shaky for a while. Achy, breaky COVID, Shui. Yes, absolutely. 
Now, the second thing I wanted to talk about, the World Series. It started over the weekend. You've got the Philadelphia Phillies and the Houston Astros currently tied at 2-2 after today's game. Philly had the second worst record of all the playoff teams with only the Tampa Bay Rays below them. And this is actually the first year the league's had a 12-team playoff. And the, obviously the first year a six seed would make it. It's kind of cool. But what's weird about all of this is how late it started. So game one took place on October 28th. The only other time in World Series history that it started as late as the 28th of October was in 2009. And funnily enough, in that series, the Philadelphia Phillies took game one with a score of six runs. They won game one in this one, scoring six runs as well. So a little bit spooky. <laughs> sort of around Halloween. Now, Stewie. <laughs> yes, we have. That's very, very true. But it's not like there were like epic seven game series holding things up. Like both the championship series were over quickly. The Astros swept the Yankees in the ALCS. The Phillies beat the Padres in five in the NLCS. Like only the Yankees and Guardians series and then the Padres and Mets series went the distance. The first of those was a best of five and the second was a best of three. So just kind of odd that it started so late. It's funny you say that. So I noticed on Front Office Sports on Twitter said that Halloween was the third and final sport equinox of 2022. And for those that don't know what that means, it means at least one game from all four major sports. So we had the MLB game three. We had Monday Night Football, three NHL games and seven NBA games. I believe it was the 28th time ever that it's happened and three times this year, as they said. Here, bunny, 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 here, Equinox. I know it's Esquilax, but it's as close to a Simpsons reference as I'll get in this, that's for sure. Got to be done. It's got to be done. Got to be done. Something else funny, Stewie, while we're on the baseball, I noticed that the umpire in the Phillies and Astro match, and I wish I took note of the player's name. I forgot to do that. That goes to show you how big a fan I am. But a player was hit by a pitch. And he started walking to first base and the umpire said, no way, time out, time out, stay there. You fucking leaned into it. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. <laughs> and, he, and he did, to be fair. Oh, he, he did, he really did. It. But it was just like, can you ever remember hearing an umpire swear? Like, I don't ever remember a mic picking up umpire swearing before. So there you go. <sighs> yeah, maybe not. I don't know. But yeah, it was, it was a really good one, that one. And lastly, just quickly, Simona Halep has been provisionally banned from tennis after testing positive to the anti-anemia drug Roxadustat, I believe it's pronounced. And this occurred at the US Open. Now, everyone seems to be on Halep's side of the court on this one, which ordinarily would make it quite difficult for her to hit any kind of forehand due to the crowding. However, in this metaphorical sense, it's great that she's got support. Now, she's gone on the record and spoken about how close she came to retiring from the game. Now she's going to have to fight to clear her name just after she broke back into the WTA top 10 about three months ago. So really tough times for Halep, uh, an amazing player, great part of the WTA for a number of years now. And yeah, it's, it's look, it's sad to see people go through this. You hope that she's clean and that she didn't actually know about it. And it was some sort of error, whatever it happens to be that it wasn't malicious, but uh, oh dear, tough times. Yeah, and speaking of the WTA, I see that they're trying to not play any matches in China because of the Peng Shui situation. I mean, that's still ongoing. She's still MIA. So, yeah, interesting <sighs> times in women's tennis. Ash Barty's been in the news too, talking about her retirement. So, yeah, lots been yep. going on. Absolutely. How about yourself, mate? Well, there's been plenty of drama in the cricket, hasn't there? Even between showers. And, and I'll tell you what, in the WBBL, it's been reminiscent of an Alfred Hitchcock movie. Did you see all the birds swooping, the ladies, the other day? No, I didn't see that. <laughs> it's crazy. It's happened on multiple occasions. Uh, Arsenal's Pablo Murray was stabbed in a Milan supermarket. That's not too good. Yeah, it's not amazing. Justin Hodges is trying to get his loss to Paul Gallen overturned by taking it to court, suggesting that he cheated like Ivan Drago in Rocky IV. Don't know if you saw that one. 
Oh, look, I, no, I didn't. <laughs> I don't, I actually don't traditionally watch many movies, even a sporting related sort of one like boxing. I, it's just, I don't know. I am a little bit too sort of ADD to sit down and watch anything longer than about 40 minutes without getting sport. really. Yeah. Well, even then, uh, that's what half time's great for in, in the basketball and the lunch breaks in the cricket. Good to sort of get up and stretch the legs and kind of detach from it for a, a, a small period of time anyway. Well, I got to tell you, Stewie, Rocky Three is the one to watch because that's the one with Mr. T, Clubber Lang. But anyway, what I wanted to focus on was to give a bit of a tip of the hat to 23-year-old Ned Brockman, who raised $1.3 million for Mobilize, a charity for homelessness, by doing a 3,800-kilometre run from Cottesloe Beach here in Perth to Bondi Beach over in New South Wales, a journey that took 46 days. I did read about this actually, and he was talking about all of the, the ailments that he went through along the way. And I think he said at one point his shoes started leaking, and obviously that's not great for your feet if your shoes start leaking and all those sorts of things. Yeah, what a ridiculous, over-the-top, amazing effort that is. It really is, and a lot of money too. So an absolute tip of the hat to him. I'm honestly not sure I could run the 300 metres down to the shops. Oh, mate. Yeah. <laughs> $1.3 to do the 3.8 kilometre walk down to the shops i've literally got one 300 meters down the road i'm not sure i could run that far what'd you miss mate well i'm really annoyed i keep missing the top of the table new zealand breakers games unfortunately i've seen like one half of one of their games all season that's really pissing me off because they are looking like a really amazing team and after the horrible couple of seasons they've had on the road it's really nice to see some joy coming out of new zealand well, what a difference home court makes, isn't it? I think well, they're we doing it all it. on the road, though. They're doing it all on the road. Yeah, but even I think even just the knowledge that you'll go back home and that you do have home fans is probably a big thing too. And they've played pretty well at home. It helps Rob Lowe's played pretty well. But uh, yeah, no, good to see. I mean, when you get all your three imports right, that does help too. Pardon's been uh, pretty, pretty bloody good. Yeah, yeah, they've absolutely nailed the imports. And look, their Australians are playing one, well, and their New Zealanders as well. Their locals are playing really well, I should say. So yeah, they've done amazingly. Moni Maior probably looks like you know, a, a, not even a, so much a runaway, but certainly looks like a favourite, I guess, for Coach of the Year at this stage. And uh, yeah, Adam Ford's doing great things up in Cairns, and obviously Scott Roth doing great things in Tassie as well. But Jeez, yeah, it's a, it's a great story. Yeah, and it's going to be another very basketball-heavy show. So as always, check the timestamps if you're not interested in every sport we talk about and you want to jump straight ahead. So what do you miss, Nath? Well, similar thing. I've been grazing around a lot of sports. So kind of the only four matches I've seen are a couple of NBL matches, a couple of NBA matches. And then other than that, I've had to graze around a fair bit. So I've caught the end of things and I've kind of talked to people and kept an eye on the things I should keep an eye on. So I saw the end of that India-Pakistan match, which was quite remarkable. We <sighs> could probably do a whole show just on the final over of that one. We'll get to that at the end. And also the Zimbabwe and Bangladesh match was pretty crazy at the end there too. So yeah, but uh, missing the Wildcats, but looking forward to seeing the uh, replay, hopefully. I don't know. Do we stay away from the result or do we keep an eye on it? I'm still in two minds. We'll see how we go. <sighs> I mean, I'm expecting that we're going to lose. So I don't know. Part of me almost wants to have an early night tonight after this. So I wonder if, yeah, maybe we'll just keep, okay, I'll keep one eye on it and we'll, we'll see how we go. So sure, we've got to start with the NBA because there's so much going on. The season is young, but there's already been some form lines. There's already been plenty of good stuff on the court, but geez, it's all the off-court stuff at the moment that's taking all the headlines, isn't it? My goodness. Yeah, I mean, the biggest one, obviously, doing the rounds at the moment, it's the whole Steve Nash, Ime Udoka sort of thing. So the Nets officially done with Steve Nash, just over one season, a 50-29 and 29 record, which has to be said is not too bad. I think people were expecting better considering he had Durant and Irving, but 
did he really? Mm, not, not so much sure here. And I think we've <laughs> got to be real here. The idiots run the asylum in Brooklyn. Like, there's oh, no two course. ways about it. Oh, absolutely they do. Yeah, no doubt. It's the team without consequence, isn't it? And we'll talk about the Kyrie stuff in a minute, but jeez. Well, if we go back right to the start, I mean, Durant and Irving never really wanted Nash in the first place. He was named coach, and then they basically said, oh, I don't really see us having a head coach. KD could be our head coach. I could be a head coach. And then Durant says, Jacques Vaughan could do it one day. And obviously that's what happened with him filling in as the interim head coach against Chicago. But I think what is so pitiful about this is listening to Durant pretending that he's genuinely shocked about it. Like if you're gonna, <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> if you're going to be a dick, just own it. Like, we get it. You've asked the organization to fire Nash over the offseason. You and Irving demanded trades out of Brooklyn when you realized that Nash was still going to be there. Like, just own it. If you don't like the guy, that's fine. But just own it. So my understanding is that he wanted Ty Lue, and when they couldn't get Ty Lue, he said Steve Nash. So I think he did play a part in the selection in some ways. But yes, you're right. Like, So the quote was, you're always shocked when a move like this happens, and I enjoyed coming to work with Steve. Are you really always shocked when you called for it before the season began? I mean, you, it, the only shock you would have is that they didn't do it right away and that he actually sat on the bench at the start of the season. Well, I mean, the thing is, if you go back to that quote where they were sort of saying that they don't see them having a head coach, that basically says that they're expecting Nash to just sit on the sidelines and look pretty and let them do whatever they want to do. So, yeah, going back to what you said about them being a team without consequences, I think that's kind of what they were hoping for. So it comes as no surprise in many ways that they've hired Udoka. They're the team, as I say, the team without consequence. You can do whatever you like. We'll sign you. So I actually happened to be awake still. I won't say what time it was. It was pretty early here in Perth in the AM. 2.15 in the morning. Yeah, yeah. well, you can check the Twitter because I tweeted. So, yeah, I happened to be up when it happened. And, of course, my mind went, well, hey, if they're getting Udoka, Josh Primo, they just need to sign him to get the full set, really, don't they? He'd be the obvious (laughs) That'd be Pretty the obvious much. team for his for his signature now. Well, you actually came up with another name while we were having a little offline chat as well about someone else they could go after. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Unfortunately, the NFL trade deadline's over, but they may as well have tried to get to Sean Watson. Yeah. Throw in a second round pick and, I don't know, someone with a half decent set of values. We've got to probably acknowledge that the reason I say Primo is, for those that don't know, he was sacked by the Spurs what, a week after they exercised his option because he was exposing himself. He was getting his junk out in front of women and it apparently happened on multiple occasions. And Brooklyn Nets are almost the anti-Spurs, aren't they? Isn't it funny? Like one organisation acts this way while the other organisation just, as you say, the, the inmates are running the asylum. It's unbelievable. Yep, that's that's the thing. You show the sack, you get the sack. <laughs> Only if you play with the Spurs. Well, this is, yeah, that's very true, actually. It depends who you play for. But yeah, he was the highest draft pick since Tim Duncan. And uh, yeah, they had to cut him. He was looking quite promising. He was a big part of the marketing campaigns and all sorts. Uh, But hey, I I actually, I'm a Spurs fan for those that don't know, and I do support the move. So it's one of those things. Oh, absolutely. Have to do it. I did want to ask you a question, though, Nath. Do you think Steve Nash can be a good coach in this league? Uh, Well, he was a bloody good player. It was a really difficult first opportunity for him, wasn't it? And he never really sat on the bench as an assistant. So if he does want to do it, and look, this has probably put him off altogether, hasn't it? But if he does want to do it, I think the best path would maybe be to sit as an assistant next to someone experienced first and then maybe, uh, maybe have another shot after that. What do you reckon? Oh, I mean, look, you always talk about the Lakers being a poison chalice. 
I think this one was very much one of those as well where, I mean, it was at a hiding to nothing. He's got these guys that have bigger egos than anyone else out there, think that they're invincible. And in this league where the players do really call the shots quite often and get coaches fired left, right and centre, he didn't really stand a chance. He just needs guys that will listen. And that's where someone like a Steve Kerr, who I think potentially could be a very, very similar sort of coach. And Kerr actually came out during the week and said, I don't think I would have done any better with that Brooklyn team. So just the fact that he had guys like Steph Curry, like Clay Thompson, some really good veterans early on in Igor Zalas, your David West, your Andrew Bogut, these guys who are all about winning and just about that culture. I think that's where someone like Steve Kerr maybe succeeded where Nash fell down. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. I didn't hear that, but it, I mean, it's a fair point. It is a fair point. And he himself, of course, did coach Durant for a while there. So you wonder if there's maybe a little bit to read between the lines there too. Yeah, but Durant had other guys to keep him in check. And he was coming onto a team that had just finished 73 and nine, had won championships. This Nets team is going nowhere fast. That Golden State team was an absolute freaking juggernaut. So it's amazing the difference it makes when you're kind of on a sure thing and you can't really lose as opposed to where he was in Brooklyn, where they've started the season, what, two and five, and not looking great. Not looking great at all. And Ben Simmons, oh man, still oh, not good God. for him. Yeah. He, he just uh, he just looks like someone who's wandered in off the street. He's a shadow of his former self, isn't he? Now, apparently he's battling a knee injury on top of the back surgery that he had in the offseason. But wow, I mean, even the defense isn't looking good, which is kind of the bread and butter and what they need from him. Yeah, they're pretty much going to have to rely on his playmaking until such a time that he sort of comes back to some kind of what he was before, basically. it's yeah, It looks ugly. It really does. So then the other one, of course, is Kyrie Irving. Now, we talked about the Kardashian curse last week, and Kanye's been going off the handle completely lately. So thought I'd bring that up. Uh, obviously, he's involved in the Kardashian curse, some would say. Definitely true. But it's almost as if Irving saw what Kanye was doing and said, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll get in on this. <laughs> yeah. Why not? Well, he's got a K in his name, so it's, just, it's all the Ks. Well, that's, yeah. <laughs> all he needs now is to date one of the Kardashians. So on his social media, Irving promoted a movie called Hebrews to Negroes, Wake Up Black America, which allegedly includes a fabricated quote from Adolf Hitler, lists the Holocaust among falsehoods perpetuated by the Jewish people, and says that they control the media. And my understanding is there's a lot of other stuff too. And look, there has been some interesting and important discussion saying, well, why the hell are Amazon making money off this? That's what he promoted, which is a fair point. But let's not go there. This is a, a sports podcast. He's finally made a comment, but there's a key word missing. So he said, I'm aware of the negative impact of my post towards the Jewish community and I take responsibility. I do not believe everything said in the documentary was true or reflects my morals and principles. He didn't say sorry, though. <laughs> mm. And why the fuck did he double down on it like two days ago? That's well, that's what I want to know. And I think for me, the worst act is just not fronting the media and just kind of dodging stuff. So he's happy to go out there and spout bullshit. But then when people kind of call him out on it, he's just not... He, well, he, he plays, just shuts he plays down. the victim. He does. He plays that's the exactly victim what card. he does. He, he, he accused a journalist of dehumanizing him. I mean, really? Dehumanizing? <laughs> Come on, man. You're making 30, $36.5 million a year to bounce a fucking basketball, mate. Yeah. You're Only not half being the time dehumanized. anyway, when you can yeah, be exactly. playing. Yeah. You're not being dehumanized, mate. If someone's asking you a question about a serious issue. And the thing is, like, let's look at a precedent. Like, if you go back 18 months, 
Myers Leonard playing for the Miami Heat at the time. He's doing a Twitch stream to one person. And he used a slur that people would use towards the Jewish people a a long time ago. It's not really a slur that's kind of still used that often, but it was said. And he basically said later on that he didn't know what the word actually meant, which absolutely not any kind of excuse. Like you you can't sort of play the ignorance card. The Heat fined him $50,000 and his career is essentially over. He hasn't played a game since then. This was like 20, nearly 20 months ago, actually. Well, I remember talking about it on one of our early episodes during the, it was during the bubble, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was actually. Yeah. But like, if you compare the pair, it's come out today. Yes. The Irving and the Nets, they're going to donate $500,000 each towards quote causes and organizations that work to eradicate hate and intolerance in our communities. So he's only going to make 36 million this year. Like, it just there's there's no punishment really at all for Kyrie. It's basically a token gesture. Okay, yes, it's a lot of money, but it's a token gesture when you consider what he's making. He will continue to play. He hasn't been suspended for a single game. Whereas someone like Myers Leonard, who yes, okay, he did the wrong thing, but his career is over for one word. Yeah. So did you notice all those fans sitting courtside wearing fight anti-Semitism shirts? They wouldn't have been cheap seats either. I did see that, and that's that's great. I'm absolutely fine with that. I mean, it, it makes a statement in a spot where he's actually going to see it because for once he's actually on the court. Yes, well, there was that great photo of him standing in front of them. It was a really good shot. Yeah, good on him, seriously. It's a good time to bring up a Mike Wilbon quote from yesterday's PTI on Kyrie and the Nets. They're unaccountable, irresponsible, dysfunctional, even shameful. They're delusional. And I think that kind of sums it up, doesn't it? Oh, wow. I mean, what a dumpster fire of a team. TNT showed some interesting clips too. So apparently going back to the dehumanizing comment, apparently he said, oh, you guys are making up this influence I have. But TNT contrasted that with an older clip where they showed him saying, I'm in a unique position with the influence I have. So clearly his influence is only when he's not causing controversy, apparently. Yeah, definitely. So one of the other things I found really disappointing about this is the contradictory way that Joe Sy has handled this. Now he's tweeted... I'm disappointed that Kyrie appears to support a film based on a book full of anti-Semitic disinformation. I want to sit down and make sure he understands this is hurtful to all of us. And as a man of faith, it is wrong to promote hate based on race, ethnicity, or religion. Bigger than basketball. So that's great. But then he does nothing with it. He hasn't suspended him. He hadn't actually fined Kyrie Irving either. Like this is, this 500K is something that I think they've kind of figured out in the back rooms, but like he's held above the rules of the normal man because of who he is and actions speak way louder than words on things like this. If you are going to say all of this stuff on Twitter and then not suspend the guy, it basically says these words don't actually mean anything to me. And it's interesting. He was saying, Oh, I'm not promoting it. And JJ Reddick was fantastic on first take last night. He absolutely nailed it. He said, basically anything you put on social media is a promotion. If you take a selfie, you're promoting yourself. If you're talking about food you like, you're promoting food. If you're talking about a team, you're promoting the team. So he's definitely promoting. And people, I would recommend go back and watch that because it was a really interesting discussion. Did you see the press conference with Sean Marks, the GM? No, I didn't see that. So first things first, his hybrid New Zealand American accent is a bit interesting. He has been over there a long time. But he said, uh, so talking about why Kyrie hadn't spoken to the media yet, he said, at this point, we don't want to cause more fuss. More fuss for whom? For who? Oh. Like, really? You don't want to cause fuss for Kyrie? We'll offend an entire religion, but we don't want to cause fuss for Kyrie. Like, my God. 
Thank goodness the Jewish people haven't been through much in their lifetimes. Like, <laughs> oh man, Jesus just, Christ! Like, yeah, it it's is outrageous. It, it, they're, they're so oblivious; it's ridiculous. Anyway, and, and look, on top of that, pretty disappointing to see that Nike hasn't actually severed ties with him either. I actually thought them of all people, I thought would be the ones to sever ties with him. Yeah, well, it's a good point. I mean, the Kanye West is having contracts torn up left, right, and centre, and this isn't a hell of a lot different in many ways. Can I maybe finish this conversation on this quote, Stewie? So this was mm-hmm. from someone called America is Musty on Twitter. I think you'll get a kick out of this. Oh, oh dear. All right. I quote, Kyrie appoints himself the voice of the voiceless, then takes offense and deflects and runs whenever asked to elaborate on his commentary. Dude is a joke, a clown, and hasn't done a damn thing noteworthy on court since 2016. Just a QAnon Monte Ellis at this point. Yes. That is <laughs> awesome. That is so good. So I think from now on, we'll call him QAnon Monte. Yes. I love it. Now, the Lakers' fortunes have turned around a little bit, Stewie, after a very poor start. Yeah, look, everyone was obviously talking about how poor the Lakers were. They've won two in a row now. Very, very fortunate today, I must say. They uh, dodged a bullet. Dyson Daniels missed a couple of free throws, gave the Lakers a chance. And Matt Ryan, not the uh, former Atlanta Falcon who should have run the football. but um, Oh, Stewie. Before you go any further, can I mention something about that? So, look, we, we probably won't get to a lot of NFL today, but Matt Ryan's time as the starting QB for the Colts lasted 28 weeks and three days. Okay. 28-3, Stewie. It still haunts him. Oh, shit. I did still. <laughs> I was, I'm thinking, is that a long period of time? Is that a short period of time? Yeah, 28-3. Wow. Isn't that oh, incredible? Oh, wow. Yeah. How did I miss that? That is so good. And obviously, go and check out episode 102, Great Sport Chokes 3, where we talked about that one. Anyway, sorry to hijack you there. No, that's okay. And just quickly, great story, Matt Ryan. He was actually working as a DoorDash delivery driver as well as Uber Eats. I work for DoorDash, so I'm obviously proud of him doing great things for the Lakers. It's like John Starks bagging groceries before playing for the Knicks, Stewie. It's like the 21st century equivalent. It really is. It really is. The big thing is Russell Westbrook coming off the bench, finally understanding that there is more than just him in the team. It has to be said, he's looked really good off the bench in a couple of games. The Lakers are looking a lot better. Lonnie Walker had a great game today, 28 points in in their win against the Pelicans. But it's nice to see Russ, you know, the ball can be in his hands now coming off the bench. He's not having to moan about having to pass the ball to other guys or play off of the ball, all that sort of stuff. Their bench is so shit as well. They need someone who can create shots. So, look, really, really good move. I think it's probably the only way that Westbrook can stay in the league. Big win for the Lakers because obviously the Pelicans own their draft pick. So they didn't want to lose to them after already having a bad start. I did wonder if it was time to wall Russell Westbrook. And what I mean by that is do what they did with John Wall and just put him behind the wall, basically just say, you're done. So I'd like to try and get that one in the vernacular, Stewie. When when a player should just be sat on the bench, let's put him behind the wall. That would be amazing. And amazingly, after all the shit that's happened, the Lakers have a better record than the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, true. I'll tell you what, though, that shot he missed, like they were up by one. I can't remember who they were playing. Up by one. Yeah, Yeah. that was against Portland, yeah. Oh, 17 seconds still left. Like anyone that called him, even considered him in one of the best point guards of all time, that right there is why he should never even be thought of. No good point guard in their right mind behaves that way. That was absolutely ridiculous. Yep, fair call. So I thought we'd maybe talk about the early surprises, Stewie, and there have been a few. The Spurs, ugh, exploded out of the gates. 
<laughs> oh wait, my team's doing as well. My, my team's done the same though. Yeah. Oh, honestly, I the the big question has everyone forgotten about Victor Wembanyama? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's good for the league. Tanking's not a great thing. Tanking from the first game of an eighty-two game season is not a good thing either. So it's it's actually probably a relief for the league. I dare say that even teams like Utah as well are going are going all right. So well, yeah. all right. Let's look. Let's look at it from the top. So Portland sitting second at five and two, Utah sitting third, six and three, the Spurs sitting fifth at five and three, Oklahoma City eighth at four and three. Like these teams were all supposed to be shit house, and they're currently oh, in the playoffs. Portland, Portland were going to compete, I think, but the others, yes, yeah, I agree. They, they were going to compete, but I thought if anything, they're going to be competing for like the nine ten. I didn't think they were going to be competing for a top four. Now, obviously, it's early. They could completely fade. Damian Lillard's out for a couple of weeks, but they played quite well today in their game against Memphis. So it's just, it's hard to know what is going on right now. And if you look outside the top eight, in fact, if you look outside the top 10, you've got the Clippers, the Warriors, and the Lakers, three teams that everybody thought was going to be right up the top of the ladder. Maybe not so much the Lakers, but the yeah, Clippers I and think the Warriors. People, yeah, people have finally started to to see the truth with the Lakers a little bit. I think people were drinking the Kool-Aid for a long time. Back to Portland, though, quickly. I mean, Anthony Simons has been absolutely magnificent. And Shaden Sharp has also shown why a lot of people thought he might be a bit of a steal. He was one of the players I was hoping the Spurs might get. So in some ways, Portland's a surprise, but in other ways, they're not, I think. Oh, look, completely get what you're saying. And yeah, you're right. Shaden Sharp just looks, oh, he looks like he could be special. Oh, but yeah, Anthony, is. But Simons is one of these guys where he hasn't put it together consistently until now. And so we're starting to see, I guess, potentially almost McCollum 2.0 because McCollum's career, I think a lot of people forget, started off fairly average, kind of the same way that Simons did. And then all of a sudden he just exploded. And it looks like yeah, it might be that Simons is doing the same thing. Yep. No, they've definitely drafted well. They're, they're looking all right. They're looking all right. They are. What have you made of the rookie class so far? Oh, good point. That's a bit of a question without notice. I'll be honest, I haven't kind of looked at it in great detail yet. We're, we're at a point now where you can start to look at averages and, and get some sort of idea of what's going on. As you know, I'm not a big fan of jumping on certain stuff too early, like, oh, oh, he's averaging this, but yeah, he's played two games. <laughs> like, you can't... Yes. But by now, by now, they've played enough games for form lines and for things to start to show a picture. But look, I'll be honest, I haven't looked at the, the rookie class, so I'll throw back to you on that one. Well, okay, the big thing, like Benedict Mazarin for the Indiana Pacers, he's beginning to look like the sort of guy who could easily be an all-star. Maybe not like all-NBA sort of level guy, but I mean, he's, the guy's come in, he's averaging 20 points a game. He just looks really comfortable. And it's kind of something that Indiana's done really well in the last couple of years. Like Chris Duarte came in and kind of looked in a similar sort of mold uh, in, in the previous year's draft. So Indiana's done a really good job of drafting some of these guys. And as, as I say, Maturin's one that's really jumped out at me. Paolo Banquero, oh, absolutely yes. as yes. advertised. Like, yeah. I, I mean, the guy's, he's an absolute beast. I actually saw a graphic that said fewest games by a rookie to reach 150 points and 50 rebounds since 76, 77. Wow. He's, he's actually tied for second behind Shaquille O'Neal with the likes of Patrick Ewing and Terry Cummings, a guy named Michael Brooks who I haven't heard of, but, you know, some decent players up there. Yeah, no, he's definitely making me look like an idiot for saying I wasn't sold on him. He has started superbly, uh, absolutely the thing superbly. Is, it's hard to know, but, yeah, I mean, the guy's just an absolute beast. He's putting up big points. He's Obviously, he's going to get a lot of minutes in that Orlando team. And can we just quickly take a second? Have you seen the Orlando starting lineups in recent games? 
They're going to be they're going to be a decent team in a few years with Wagner there. They've got some good players. Wagner's basically playing the shooting guard though. Like they're running <laughs> so big. They're, yeah. they're running four guys at six ten. Like Bol Bol is running the point guard. Well, actually, sorry, I should rephrase that. Bol Bol's running the point. Terence Ross is running the two. But then you've got Wagner playing like a small forward at basically six ten. And then they've got what Carter Williams and Bankera, obviously. So yeah, they're they're a crazy, crazy big team. I I love what they're doing. Like they're gonna be a really fun team to watch. Well, it's the modern NBA, isn't it? Big, long, athletic, lean often teams. I mean, obviously the your Thunder have a similar thing. I really enjoyed their game against the Clippers. I watched that one. They're also long and stretchy and bouncy and and Bol Bol, going back to Bol Bol, did you see that Luka Doncic did the too small thing on him the other day? Yeah, I did see that. <laughs> but, I did um, see that. He, he's a great passer. Like he, he has point guard skills. He he is a very, very good playmaker for a guy that size. We've been saying that for a couple of years now. Remember that play in one of the preseason games where he threw that crazy bounce pass in transition? Oh, yeah. Do you remember yeah, that? Yeah, running yeah. the break. Yeah. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot of great rookies. I mean, you can look at guys like Keegan Murray in Sacramento, Jay Nivey's looking all right in Detroit, Jabari Smith. You know, th- these guys are all going to get really good opportunities there. We've already mentioned, obviously, Shaden Sharp's looking really good. Jeremy Sochan, or should I say Jeremy Rodman in, uh, yeah, in San no, Antonio. Yeah, he's good. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot of really great guys out there. I, I'm loving the rookie class. I'm still hoping we can get number one in next year's draft, but uh, certainly, yeah, enjoying what's going on at the top right now. And thinking about the tanking stuff, I recently heard that there's only a 4% difference between the lo- the worst record in the league and the fifth worst record in the league. So in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter if you get the fifth worst record compared to the worst in some ways, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? But we still need to drop some games soon, our two teams, honestly. it's Well, Stewie, I've got a crazy thunder stat for you. So this is from ESPN Stats and Info. NBA teams were 9,975 and one when leading by 16 plus points in the final four minutes of the fourth quarter in the last 25 years. After their upset of the Mavs, it's now 9,975 and two. Yay, winning. (laughs) It's so conflicting because you want the team to be good. I've said this for years. You want to be good, but at the same time, you want that unicorn as well. So, yeah, it's a tough one. I think in a few years, OKC, regardless of who they get in the next draft, I think they'll be very good. So, yeah, no, it it will be interesting. Sticking with them, SGA became the first player in NBA history to score 30 points, have eight assists, three blocks, three steals, and shoot 100% from the free throw line and from behind the three-point line too. So hats off to him. And that kind of takes me to the next thing I wanted to mention. How crazy does the MVP race look right now? Oh, I'm not even going to go there, Stewie. I'm not no, even. No, let's, let's. No, no, it's, no. doesn't matter that it's only 10% of the way in. <laughs> it's like people at... talking about Keanu Pinder, like, oh, put him in the All-NBL first time. It's like, it's been three fucking games, guys. Like, guys can get injured. Guys can have bad form. No, I'll let you talk if, about if, it, Stewie. If, if you look at the numbers, like, Luca's nearly going to average a triple-double. Jokic isn't going to be far off that. You're getting ridiculous numbers like Ja Morant's averaging like 31, 8 and 6 or something. Giannis is putting up ridiculous numbers like 34 and 12. And Donovan Mitchell's doing 31, 5 and 5. Shea, as you said, you know, he's 31, 6 and 7 or something. There's so many guys that are putting up these gaudy numbers that ordinarily would be more than enough to win MVP. And someone like SGA is probably sitting like 10th or 12th in the MVP running, possibly lower because you're not even taking into account guys like Jason Tatum or players well, like that. So it's And you've nuts. got to take wins into account. Obviously, yes, 
the Thunder have started better than you thought they would, but that they will kind of fall back into the pack as well. So I think wins are yeah. important. But as I messaged to you, I can't remember, it was quite early in the season, maybe only three games in or something. I watched that Denver-Golden State game, which was really good. I was like, holy shit, Jokic is going to average a triple-double as a centre, isn't he? <laughs> so we'll see if that actually happens. Yeah. It's it's possible. I think the assists might be a struggle, which seems yeah. weird for a team that has the shooting of a Jamal Murray and Porter Jr. and all of these other guys there. But yeah, I don't know. I think the assists might be what holds him back. But yeah, I, I did want to also say one other real big early surprise is how great a fit Donovan Mitchell has been for Cleveland so far. Yeah, they had a good win today as well. Over time. Yeah, I, I could handle a 33-game series between Boston and Cleveland, quite frankly. <laughs> It's so much fun. Like they just match up so well. But yeah, Mitchell is doing such a good job. I mean, okay, yes, he's averaging a lot of points, but I think he's integrated into that team really well. The guys all seem to like him. He's doing all the right things at this stage. And, you know, we always talked about how in Utah, he was this guy who had amazing stats, but did nothing in the playoffs. That's obviously going to be the big thing for him. Cleveland is going to be a playoff team. Can he keep going past that 82 game mark? That's the big thing. And on the flip side, Markkinen's going really well for Utah too. So that's looking like a decent trade for both teams. Yeah, he's he looked like an all-star for probably the first five games. Had a couple of iffy ones in the last three, but it's just great to see what he can actually do when he's the focal point of an offense. So, no, dueling stats time. We haven't done this in a while. Yeah, got a, a long few, time. Got a few things to talk about. So I'll go first because I've got five. So the Warriors will be paying $275 million just in luxury taxes next season which at this stage is more than the entire Memphis Grizzlies and New York Knicks players' salaries combined. It's remarkable, isn't it? Holy shit. Just in luxury taxes. Yeah. (laughs) Is it any wonder why they're balking at potentially re-signing Draymond? (laughs) Holy Mm. shit. Did you see, Shui, that not only is Luka Doncic the first player to score 30-plus in each of his first six games since Michael Jordan in 86, now that he's done it a seventh time... He joins Will Chamberlain and Jack Twyman for the first person to do it since 1959-60 season, which is incredible. Yeah, he's got a long way to go to catch Wilt at number one with 23 consecutive to start a season, but you know what? He's on his way. Now, in the Memphis-Brooklyn game from opening weekend, which the Grizzlies won 134 to 124, Kevin Durant, 37 points, Kyrie Irving, 37 points, Desmond Bain, 38, and Ja Morant, 38, became the first four players to score 35 or more in the same game since Isaiah Thomas had 47, John Long had 41, Kelly Trapuka had 35, Kiki Vandeweghe had 51, and Alex English had 47 in <laughs> a fairly famous game, Nate. Can you pick the game? Ah, the famous triple overtime game, Stewie. Yes, the 186-184 triple overtime game from 1983. <laughs> and it's also the first time that that's actually been done in regulation. Ah, nice. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Pretty, pretty crazy. Sticking with the theme of 30-point games, Chewie, so Kyrie Irving, or should I say QAnon Monte, and Kevin Durant (laughs) became the fourth set of teammates to score 30 points per game in the first seven games of a season, joining Kevin Durant and Steph Curry, Jerry West and Elgin Baylor, and Jerry West and Wilt Chamberlain on the 18-19 Warriors, 69-70 Lakers, and 61-62 Lakers, respectively. The only key difference is... They're the only team on that list to be under 500. Oh, no surprise there. Now, a quick one about Anthony Davis. We always talk about how often he is injured. Since the bubble, Anthony Davis has played in 82 games and missed 79. Wow. That's Every not good. Every other game. No, yeah, yeah, not good at all. Kawhi's already missing games too. Yeah, unfortunately, he's missing the games against bloody OKC. <laughs> yeah, you've beaten them twice, haven't you? Yeah, he hasn't played in either of them, the bastard. <laughs> 
Speaking of the Lakers, Dewey and Davis, did you see that Westbrook, Beverly, and Nunn combined for one for 25 in one game? What a production oh, to get out of your backcourt. Shoot. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I did not see that. Dear <laughs> Lord. So this week marks the 120th and final installment of Chris Bosch's last contract. Did you ah, see that? No, I didn't. It means he will be paid his final bi-monthly $434,393 check from the Heat, even though he's been in the Hall of Fame already for more than a year and hasn't played a game since the 9th of February 2016. Wow. To put that into perspective, Tim Duncan, Elton Brand, and Amari Stoudemire have played in games more recently. Wow, that's incredible. That is even incredible. fucking Kendall Marshall has played games more recently. There's a name I bet you haven't thought about in a long time. Oh, we are Marshall. No. Now, Nath, I know you've got a quote you want to do. I'll just do my last stat and then I'll let you go nuts with the quote. Fire away. Now, Anthony Edwards had 138 dunks in his first two seasons in the league. He has had zero so far this season. Interesting. Zero. Interesting. Did you see his candid post-match press conference where they were, he was looking at the plus minuses of the bench versus the starters? I didn't see that, no. He was not happy. He, I I don't know. I, I feel like there might have been a bit of stream of consciousness going on there. He maybe should have kept that conversation behind closed doors. Yeah. He probably should have. But I, I think what actually is most interesting about that stat is that it kind of illustrates why the Gobert and Towns pairing is probably not going to work. Yeah, well, apparently he said he doesn't like playing with two bigs. So maybe yeah. he should have talked to the GM before they made that enormous trade with all those draft picks. Absolutely. They've just clogged up the keyway and he's not getting to the rim. And unfortunately yeah, well, for him, yeah. well, well, Gobert was one of his key targets. He dunked on Gobert a couple of times. And now that he's on his team, he's got no one to dunk on. Now, we thought we'd finish NBA today with a quote. It's a Dwight Howard quote from Club Shay Shay, a podcast. And we talked about the NBA at 75. We talked about the snubs. So on that, he said, I was very upset. I questioned if I even wanted to play basketball again. Like, what am I doing this for? Well, how about love of the game, championships, the exorbitant pay, teammates, a good lifestyle? Do I need to go on? What are you doing this mm. for? Like, whatever happened to, oh, the accolades sort themselves out. You don't play for the accolades. Like, crikey. I have to say, I don't like the way Snub thinks. <laughs> Very nice. There we go. I knew, I knew I'd find another Simpsons quote in there somewhere. So, Shui, I'm glad we're talking about the NBL after a bumper round five because there's been two and a half rounds since we last spoke about it. And, gee, there were some woeful games. So there was that Tasmania-Melbourne game that was 74-64. <laughs> New Zealand-Illawarra. Uh, New Zealand held Illawarra to 62. Then they had a 68-64 game against Cairns. And Brisbane will be happy they played Illawarra because they beat them 82-56 to and then 86-61 to to get their first two wins of the season. But, my goodness, was last round exciting. It was, yeah. Two overtime games, two non-overtime games that had one possession results, lots of big plays, also a ton of really big mistakes at key moments, which I, I think are some interesting talking points. A lot of cool stuff going on, though. Where do you want to start? Well, I think we have to start off the court, unfortunately, and, and it seems that this happens far more often than we'd like. We have to talk about the Dean Vickham and Jordan Caroline press conference. Ah, uh, yes, yes. It was interesting, wasn't it? He, uh, well... It's maybe a bit too honest about well, Caroline's let me, prospects. Let me read the quote for you. So they've just lost to Sydney. And among other things, Vickerman says, as I've been open about, we're searching for a guy. We haven't found the right guy yet. 
I thought the shots Jordan had tonight, we were talking in the locker room and it was like, wow, if Jack White had every one of those catches where he caught it and those takes at the rim and were just able to finish it, there were 11 kind of good shots, but he just hasn't been able to finish some of those over the length of people in this league. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? The Jack White Appreciation Society. I mean, look, they're grown men and they need to be able to take criticism. They're paid good money, which is fair enough. But gee, as a coach, it's certainly not something I would say in a press conference. I'd keep some of that behind closed doors. Yeah, I, I think the way I look at it is this: is the critique off the mark? Not really. No, he yeah. hasn't. No, he hasn't looked up to the pace of games. Hasn't been an amazing fit. But is it ever the right place to deliver the message like that? And more importantly, is Caroline the one and only reason that United are struggling? No. Well, according to Chris Goulding, it's because someone put a finger up his ass. Did you hear about that? Yeah, yeah, that's um. So this one was swept under the rug. Like hardly anyone's talked about it. But there was a Herald Sun headline that said Melbourne United star Chris Golding apologizes for allegation NBL rival put finger up my ass in United's eighty one seventy seven loss to Cairns. Was Golding worried about that anyway? He barely shoots any twos to to start with. <laughs> John Hopoate, eh? Yeah, look. There's a lot of reasons that Melbourne are struggling, though. I mean, Golding hasn't been amazing. Shaley's barely played. Rajon Tucker isn't even the best import on his team, much less the whole league. If you're looking at that team, the only two players I would actually give a pass mark to are Isaac Humphreys and Xavier Rathan Mays, or RXM, as he's affectionately known. Oh, RXM has been magnificent, hasn't he? Absolutely magnificent. Just needed a change of scenery in the end, apparently. Those are the only two guys I would actually give a pass mark to. So I think throwing Caroline under the bus... Okay, yes, he's not the right guy. Yes, he's probably going to get replaced as soon as they find the right guy. And yes, he's probably been told that. But it doesn't need to come out in that sort of environment. I I just don't see a spot for it. If you look over West, the same sort of thing's happening here. Brady Mannock's struggling. He's, what, eight and a half points, four rebounds, an assist and a steal and half a block. Shooting 41% from the field, well under 30 from three. Screen door on defense, whether it's one-on-one or post or pick and roll, any of that sort of stuff. He's nothing like how he was advertised. But you don't see John really out there throwing him under the bus. It's just not hard. It's just not the right thing to do, I don't think. Well, that's the thing. So even if a player leaves and you can go, oh, well, we'll never see him again. But yeah, the rest of the team see it. <laughs> the rest mm. of the team hear these comments. The fan base hears the comments. Like You've still got to think about the 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 macro, not just the micro here. I, I, I'm amazed. And, and I think he probably realized halfway through, like when you actually watch the presser, he did kind of pedal back a little bit so you wonder if he knew straight away that he said some things he probably shouldn't have but hey the genie's out of the bottle so it is and then all these players are going to be walking on eggshells now thinking well what if I do something wrong am I going to get thrown under the bus by coach I don't know it's just yeah it's not good you're absolutely right about Manic though and and they have thrown their weight behind him so so I mean that's good as far as the team's concerned I did see that former NBL player Deshaun Taylor tweeted, when is Australia gone grant my Bryce Cotton citizenship? So interesting. So should we get some of the games, Nate? Because there were some really good ones. We had four good games. Yeah, we had three in a row too. We did. We did. Melbourne, Illawarra, should we start there? Well, Perth, South East Melbourne, prior to that was pretty good, I thought. Yeah, we can start there. Blanchfield had a very good look to win it. They moved it around the horn didn't come off, unfortunately. He had a really bad shooting game, but it was a good look. Now, I know you think that Bryce should have taken the final shot. I'm okay with that because it was wide open and he is a good shooter. Just didn't drop. Now, I honestly, I think in this league and the way the Wildcats are playing right now, I don't see a world where Bryce should ever give up anything, especially a runner. He's got a, a runner from like eight feet. 
Instead, you're kicking out to a guy named Luke Travis, who is shooting a lot better this season than he was last year. But then he's passing it on to Todd Blanchfield, who couldn't hit the backside of a barn that night. For me, Bryce has got to take that shot every single time. And it's not even like Williams put a hand up. Williams just basically stood there and would have let him shoot it. So yeah, I just think he's got to take that shot. He's the guy. I'm really concerned with the miles on Bryce. I mean, he's looking exhausted by the end of some games. He, the Wildcats are running him into the ground. And it's no surprise that his field goal percentage and the quality of shots that he's getting in the third and fourth quarters is considerably lower than it is in the first half. Yep, his first halves have been much better for the most part, definitely. They, they have. And shock horror, he's had another big first half against the Tasmania Jack Jumpers in a game that is going on right now. So I called for the manic benching, as many people did. I thought Travis should have been inserted into the starting lineup. Instead, it was Jesse Wagstaff. What do you make of all that? Yeah, look, I don't think either of them really... I don't have a problem with either of them, really. I, I think Wagstaff, we know what we're going to get out of him. We're going to get craftiness. We're going to get decent shooting. With Travis, you get a little bit more versatility. I think maybe the fact that Cotton probably wants to have the ball in his hand a lot more whereas I think Travers has been good with the ball in hand as part of the second unit. I, I don't know. There's not really a right or wrong answer for me. It's just they're different players. I think Travers should absolutely be starting. In the offseason, really talked about how important he was, basically saying he was the second most important player on the team. Look, I see value in bringing guys off the bench, but to get good starts, have him out there on the court. He'll run the court, get some cheapies, some easy fast break points. I think it's a no-brainer. I think he absolutely should be starting for the Wildcats. No, fair enough. I look, I, I mean, as I said, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. They're just different. Let's. I want to talk very quickly about probably the biggest issue that I saw to come out of this game for the Wildcats. They're up nine points. Mitch Creek goes to the bench in the third quarter with his fourth foul, and then the Phoenix go on a 12-3 run in about two and a half minutes. This irks me about this team. Like When this Wildcats team was a playoff team, they would have absolutely put the foot on the throat at that point and probably yes. won the game by 25. Yep, you're right. You're and, absolutely and this right. Is, this is the team that put the Wildcats out of the playoffs last season and you don't make a statement. like that. Yep. That's what That really bugs me. I agree. Yep, you're right. The Phoenix and the, the Jack Jumpers are two teams. They shouldn't need any extra motivation to be defeating and it looks like they're going to probably lose both games. And then obviously if you look at the, the scoring side of things, again, it's Cotton, 27, Travers, 19, Thomas, 14, no one else in double digits. Whereas the Phoenix had five guys in double figures, Creek, Brokoff, Williams, Kell, and Brown. They even got bloody seven points and six boards from Ruben Tarangi. So yes. it, it's, oh. <laughs> it's, it's just, there's no support. The, the other thing that really concerned me, Stewie, speaking of, and I think you're absolutely right. I think Wildcats teams from the last few, or the Trevor Gleason days would have absolutely just destroyed teams. You're right. They just put them out of the game. Don't even give them a sniff. When the game, so the Wildcats were down, I think it was about seven, and it seemed like they'd given up already. They, they weren't even going after loose balls that they could have easily got. So it was, it was, they had a shot to win, but as a fan, it was very disappointing. Mm, agreed. Now, Melbourne Illawarra was the next game on the first of the two Saturday games that were both absolute barn burners. What a game that was, hey? Great finish. This game felt like a movie where the script read to get it to overtime, don't you reckon? Yeah, yeah. Well, the three in the corner. It's like there was some weird stuff going on too. Melbourne didn't even attempt a shot after Harvey hit that three at the end of regulation. Yeah. Well, well, What's let, going I mean, on let's, there? Let, let's look at this. So United are up six with 30 seconds left. They're up four with 20 seconds left and the ball. Rajon Tucker then just decides he doesn't like Dang Dang, hits him low, hits him high with the elbow. I'll quickly ask the question. Do you think Tucker should have been ejected for that? 
Oh, look, Deng is known for flopping. And I don't know. It, it's a tricky one because it didn't seem like he connected super bad to me. Yeah, it's a tricky one. It's a tricky one. I'm on the fence. Oh, I, I, I think too. there were two... I think the fact there were two motions for me is is enough to throw him out. The fact Probably. that you're even throwing the elbows is really really bad, and the fact that he was huge in overtime as well, Tucker. That that's you know a Boy, little bit. Had iffy. some big tip dunks too in that game. A couple of big dunks. Oh yeah, jeez, yeah. he did. Yeah, but yeah, then so you've got offsetting free throws. Obviously, Tucker gets the the two free throws for being fouled. Den gets two plus the ball for the unsportsmanlike foul. Deng hits a three after that. Rattan Mays gets a layup at the other end. That back door was way too easy. Like They absolutely broke down on defense there. Yep, yet another one of the many mistakes that were made. And I will just say, this Tyler Harvey three as well, it's the sort of three that's probably going to buy him several more weeks of people not noticing the sort of shots that he takes outside of that. Peyton Siv is a really good addition for the Hawks though, isn't he? And I think, well, initially I thought, is it any wonder that Sam Froling had a really good game with Peyton Siver there setting him up? He is a very good pure point guard, but he had a bit of a stinker today against Adelaide. So there goes that theory. He only scored six but, points. Well, but also, I mean, on top of that, if you go back to that Melbourne game, I mean, he shot the ball appallingly. I think he was, what, one of 11 from three, I think he was in that game. So definitely wasn't shooting the ball well. A little bit of rust, obviously, but uh, wow, yeah, not great. He- was he that bad? I must confess, I only saw the fourth quarter in the overtimes. So, yeah, okay. Jeez. Uh, he, he struggled. But, yeah, as you say, then they don't get a shot up, which <laughs> baffling how you can not have any sort of game awareness. They, I think I, I heard – I think it was Liam Santamaria. It might have been, been Hulls. I think yeah, I think it was Hulls. said he, he J.R. Smithed it, basically. Would you know? Yeah, well, maybe. He might have thought they were up one. What it looked like to me was when you're playing like NBA 2K with the wireless remote and you hit the pass button, but it doesn't kind of pick it up properly. And so (laughs) that's what it felt like. Very weird finish. We know guys don't like shooting threes at the end of quarters because it affects their stats, but that's the three you're meant to take when the game is done. That is the three, yeah. And then obviously Rattan Mays hits a couple of clutch threes in the first overtime. Sends it to a second overtime, and then Melbourne obviously yeah, run away with it in the second, win by six. Crazy, crazy game, though. Speaking of crazy games and dueling shots at the end, Sydney Cairns was equally as fun, wasn't it? There were so many big shots at the end of that game, just backwards and forwards like a heavyweight bout. It was fantastic. It was. DJ Hogue, spectacular oh, in this one. Wasn't he? Just knocking down 20, threes from way back. It was nuts. 20, 27 points, five boards, five assists, three steals, three blocks. The massive three to basically uh, tie the game up with a few seconds left. He's got a bit of Hito Turkaloo about him. Oh, yeah. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. In, in the re- the release, the way that he rises up on his jump shot as well. I, I really, really love this guy. He's great. While we're doing player comparisons, Stewie, Craig Randall's almost just a taller version of Bryce Cotton in many ways, I think. Yeah, he's he kind of looks a little bit like uh, someone like Cam Payne, like Cameron Payne's body with Bryce Cotton's game. Yeah, just, I don't know, just the way he plays, it's a little bit reminiscent of that. But yeah, the Hedo one, mm. that's interesting. And I remember mm. you saying in our little chat with the Throwback Hoops boys, shout out to them, as always, um, that uh, Hogue is probably the player we wish we had instead of Manic on the Wildcats. Yeah, just a little bit, just a little <laughs> bit. It was also good to see Sam Wardenberg. He showed up proper probably for the first time as well. This was the sort of game I think we were expecting going into the season from him. Yeah, look, he is a rookie, so he's going to have growing pains. And he's, he's been up and down. He's had a few good games. But yeah, no, that was that was a good one for him. Hmm. Just unfortunately for Cairns, they just fell asleep at the end, didn't they? Who was it? Was it Deng who just allowed was... a wide open three? 
It was my joke, Dan. Yeah. And, and look, first things first, we've got to give a shout out to Sean Bruce on this. Now, oh, yeah. never been a never been a massive fan of the guy, but he was actually probably the most important player for the Kings in this. He hit a couple of big threes in the last couple of minutes. He then misses two free throws in the last minute, but gets the offensive rebound himself. And yeah, on point pass to Noy for the game winner. Really good misdirection from Noy as well to give him that angle to make that pass. The birthday noise, Chewie. The birthday noise, yes. Yeah, look, I, I don't know what happened there. I think they were so worried about Cooks, and and fair enough too, because Cooks hit the little buzzer beater at the end of the third quarter. So maybe they thought it was going to him again in the fourth. But yeah, not not a good final set for the Cairns Taipans there to give no. the Kings the win. You'd rather a contested lob than a wide open three. So, Stewie, I didn't get to see this one, unfortunately, but I know you had some notes on Adelaide and South East Melbourne. Oh, look, just a couple of things. I mean, it was it's the same sort of stuff. Big plays, big mistakes. So... Ryan Brokaw, four-point play with 22 seconds left in the game. You never foul a jump shooter. And then you had Craig Randall counter that with a floater in the lane after, of all things, a tech foul for standing on the sidelines. So a lot of those key mistakes at really horrible times across the entire weekend. Trey Kell dominated the middle part of the overtime. He's probably part of the reason I picked the Phoenix in the top four preseason. Just looks like a really solid sort of player, makes good plays. Uh, Look, the, the big thing to come out of this weekend for me, if you look at the top five, the New Zealand Breakers, the Cairns Taipans, and the Tassie Jack Jumpers are all in the top five. It's it's amazing. You know, teams that we all thought were going to do really well, like Perth and Adelaide, struggling out of the, the blocks, I guess. And it's, uh, it's, it's a good start to the season. It's fun. Oh, it sure is. And look, I think what a difference it makes when Rowdy's playing well. So as you mentioned, Brokoff, he's playing much better this season. So the injury niggles he had last season seem to be well behind him. Frank's had a better game today. He had a bit of a shocker, didn't he, for Adelaide uh, on the weekend. So he he seems to have come back into form. That was with Randall missing today, of course. I, I caught a little bit of that after work, the Adelaide Hawks game. So Adelaide have got themselves back on track a little bit. Supposedly the best trio in the NBL of all time, according to Homicide. And all these mm. all the historians are jumping on going, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Not even the best trio in Adelaide history. And look at their record. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, you, we could probably put down 30 trios that are better than them, but that's okay. But yeah, I mean, the Hawks kind of hung around for a little bit, but then Adelaide did put the, put the foot on the throat at the end there, didn't they? So they did get the win they should have got in the end. They did. Now, Nath, you just wanted to talk quickly about players in the com box. Yeah, so, I mean, look, this has been doing the rounds on the NBL podcast. We haven't really talked about it yet. Mitch Creek was obviously commentating the Perth-Melbourne game. What do you think? I'm not a huge fan, to be honest. I think if a player is injured long-term, fair enough. Uh, And look, to be fair, I thought Mitch Creek was actually pretty decent. He's a much better commentator than he is a human being. But, (laughs) yeah, I I agree. I don't think these, like, one-offs... And certainly not the entire game. If Mitch Creek is there and they want to talk to him for a few minutes, cool. I got no problems with that. Like the little cameos they do in the cricket commentary boxes, I got no problems with that. But yeah, to have him on for the entire game, uh, I don't, uh, I'm with you. I don't agree. It's necessary. Surely they have enough commentators in the stable. I mean, okay, that was basically Liam Santamaria and two development player commentators in still. Uh, former AFL uh, Lee Montagna and and Mitch Creek. Mitch Creek went all right. It was interesting when he said the reason Phoenix won was because of their suffocating defense. It's like, dude, Blanchfield had a wide open look. It had nothing to do with the suffocating defense. He just fucking missed. <laughs> like, yeah. nothing to do with the defense. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think unless they're a long-term injured player or they're 
maybe a team that's out of the playoffs and in the playoffs maybe. But I think yep. the existing, the ex-players and the existing commentators are better anyway. And they can't they can't speak 100% frankly anyway because they're still in the league and they have to be careful what they say. So even their honesty can't be at 100%. So I just, I, I don't really see the necessity of it, to be honest. Mm, agreed. So round six has begun in earnest. As I said, Adelaide beat the Hawks today and... Final, Jack Jumpers 85, Wildcats 77. Can't even win at home. Not good. Not good at all. Get them on the road. Get them on the road. Give them a chance to get away for a while. But, yeah, this this team is really struggling right now. No real identity at all. So we don't finish this segment on something too depressing, Stewie. We do have some exciting things in the works, both with a very important guest in the basketball ranks. Now, we won't count our chickens. We'll, We'll wait and see how that one goes. But also Perthlings. If you're in Perth in late January, some hopefully some pretty exciting things there too, where we'll have a bit of a get-together with any luck. So we'll have more information on that in the coming weeks too. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. So Cricket Stewie, we probably won't go too hard on this today. We're hoping to talk to Woody again when all said and done after the tournament. But in spite of several washouts and several no results, it's still been a really exciting T20 World Cup, hasn't it? That's so funny that you say that. I've literally got it written here. Got to start by saying one of the best World Cups, even with all the washouts. It's yeah. so funny. That's exactly how I put it. It's upsets, yeah. big scores, tight races in both pools. It's fantastic. And it's good to see it's the, the fast bowling that's dominating. It's not all about spin, which is so often the case in T20s. But the issue does still remain, Nath. Bloody Melbourne and their bloody rain. <laughs> well, look, in late October, early November, it was not a great time in the calendar but the calendar is so full with cricket and all the t20 competitions around the world that it was no other time to play it so that it had to be done i've got a question though and this is the question that's doing the rounds well actually it's not even so much a question but it's a statement a lot of people are making if only there was another stadium in melbourne that you could close the roof on i know and that's the ridiculous thing isn't it so obviously the capacity is much better at the g but yeah you'd you'd hope that they might have thought about Particularly with some of the smaller games. Okay, India and Pakistan, fantastic crowd. It was like, what, 90,000, nearly 300. But yeah, yeah, like for, for some of the smaller games, I don't know, it's probably a no-brainer to, to consider putting them under the roof. Well, here's the thing, though. Melbourne has hosted five matches and one of them has been bowled to the last ball, which ironically, given the nature of what we're discussing, as you mentioned, Pakistan and India, probably the game of the tournament. Oh, some people are saying the greatest T20 game of all time, Stuart. Forget oh, game of the tournament. Yeah. We'll get there, though. We will, we will get there. It's up there. But then you've got three of them that have been entirely washed out, one of them reduced by five and a half overs. It's a pretty simple thing, and it's not like Marvel has never hosted a cricket match in their life. It's one of the key venues for the BBL. So they know what they're doing. They know how to do it. And look, I'm, I'm going to say this. It was the loss to New Zealand that hurt Australia. I'm not saying that it cost Australia a spot in the semifinals not being able to play England because England would have pummeled us. But I'm totally saying it cost us a spot in the semifinals because <laughs> we would have killed the Poms. So, uh, You're sounding like Kyrie Irving talking about being yes. an influence or not. It's like, I wouldn't grind my feet on Eddie's couch. i got a little more sense than that. Yeah, I yeah, remember grinding my feet on Eddie's couch. <laughs> <laughs> motherfucker can buy another one. <laughs> oh dear. But look, the reason that I bring this up and the reason that it's potentially a problem, the final is scheduled for the MCG in less than two weeks time. What happens if that gets rained out? 
Yeah, well, there's been so much rain over east. And obviously, again, our hearts go out to people that are affected by floods and stuff. It's not fun times over there for many people. But yeah, as far as the cricket's concerned, I mean, look, it's the G. It has to be played there. But God, I hope it's not a rain-shortened match. 2020s are pretty short as it is. I hate rain-shortened matches. Like when it becomes a 5-5 or something ridiculous like that, It's that's, that's just yeah. farcical, farcical. And and it's starting to to creep into some of these other games as well. I mean, we've just seen the finish of the South Africa-Pakistan game, which was shortened because of horrible, horrible rain in Sydney. Even Adelaide's affected, Stewie. Of course, the Bangladesh-India match. Bangladesh were cruising at none for 66 off seven, 17 runs ahead of par with the run rate of 9.25. But then after the break, the run rate was 9.44, and we all know what happened. Yeah, so Litton Dust dominating and, yeah, exactly, couldn't keep going after the rain. So, yeah, it's a bit of a worry. And I know that, yes, you have to have it at the G, but they have to have a backup plan just in case. Well, hopefully there's a backup day for the final because we don't want some fast like the last 50-over World Cup. Mm, true, true. Or the one that we went to in the West Indies as well. Well, that's true, yeah. Well, at least we got a result there. But, yes, that was farcical too, no doubt. But it, it was dark for fuck's sake. <laughs> it sure was. It sure was. Oh, dearie me. So England lost to Ireland, which was a surprise. Zimbabwe beat Pakistan thanks to the curse of Pac Bean. <laughs> oh, my God. He looks so much like Rowan Atkinson, though. That was pretty scary. He's basically Brian Windhorst crossed with Rowan Atkinson. He was like a fat Rowan Atkinson. <laughs> I don't think he was quite as big as Windy. Well, no, that's why it was a cross. It was a cross. Yeah. I'd say Pakistan have been disappointing though, haven't they? Oh, very up and down. Yeah, Woody's picked to win the tournament. Yeah. Probably about the only thing he got wrong though, to be fair. So. Well, they still could though, of course, but it's unlikely. It's very unlikely. Oh, now. Well, yeah, they can. They can now that South Africa lost tonight. I mean, they could technically get through... But look, they need South Africa to lose to the Netherlands or Zimbabwe to lose to India, and they've got to beat Bangladesh. So it's unlikely. There's unlikely. a lot of teams relying on other results, aren't there? Mm, ourselves included. Yes. And look, we probably won't talk about Australia too much, but we've got to talk about the India-Pakistan match and the Bangladesh and Zimbabwe match, don't we? India-Pakistan. My goodness. I only saw the last 10 overs, but boy, oh boy. what I mean, as I said at the top, that final over we could do a whole episode on. That was just outrageous. Yeah, I was actually out at dinner at a pub and I, I was sort of watching. I, I specifically sat in a seat because I would have a decent angle of the TV that was sort of playing in the background. And I was sort of watching That's the numbers like you, get lower and lower. No, it's not at all. <laughs> no, never prioritise sport over family. <laughs> but, but you're looking at, you know, 70 off 36 and then all of a sudden it's 48 off 18 and then it's 28 off 8 and you're thinking, well, I mean, India, they're done and dusted. There's no way they can make those sort of runs. And Coley just kept playing the big shots when India needed them, and it was ridiculous. Oh, some of those flicks behind over third man were just magnificent, <laughs> just yep. sublime. Yeah. I mean, there was that nonchalant straight drive back over Harris-Ralph's head with, I think, the second last ball of the second last over. It just, it's insane. I love the idea to bowl Mohamed Nawaz as well for that last over, kind of force India to hit across the line. Started off really well, and then uh, the the moment, the waist well, high no ball. It has to be. It has to be asked. Did he choke? He basically oh, choked. And and I think it's interesting you say that. I I probably would have gone with a paceman. I thought Ralph bowled pretty well. I I probably would have gone with a paceman in the final over. I think Barbara's um made a bit of a gamble and decided that if he could eke out another wicket or two, it would be over by the final over. Do you know what I mean? Like the the, the they just need too many runs. It just didn't mm. work for him. But yeah, I mean, he bowled terribly. There was the leg side wide. 
there was the waist tie full toss that wasn't called. So I actually bowled two in the over. So I don't actually have any problem with one of them being called because I think he actually bowled two of them. He was chucking pies, mate. Chucking pies. Well, well the, the problem that they had was that they didn't have anyone else to bowl. They bowled a Freddy out. They bowled Ralph out. That's what I'm yeah, saying. They, I think he yeah, gambled. Like, yeah. I think he was trying yeah. to get that one more wicket before that final over, but it didn't pay off for him. But look, I, I have to say, I'm I'm not convinced that that, ball was above waist height it was above waist height when coley hit it but he hit it two feet in front of his body so I, i'm not entirely sure that it was I, I don't know i would like to have seen like a ball tracker to kind of see where where it would have ended up but it looked like it was dipping but yeah it's a big penalty all of a sudden you go from needing 13 off three to needing six off three with a free hit and as you say then it bowls the wide there's just all sorts of issues. Well, let's I talk about the free ask... hit. Let's talk about the free hit. because that was I was going to one... ask you the same thing. Yeah, it was the one good delivery he bowled. He actually hit the wickets. Now, obviously, it's not a wicket because it was a free hit. But they ran three. They ran three after the ball was deflected off the stumps. But mine, that should be a dead ball. That's that's a bit off for me. What do you think? Okay, good. Uh, no, well, that, that was going to be my question is what were your thoughts on this? I'm not a fan of the rule either. I think yeah. with something like that where you've got, yeah, you've got zing bales, I, I think a dead ball is fair. But I, I guess in the rules of the game, the only sort of three ways you can get out off a free hit are a run out, a stumping, or a, uh, or, well, actually you can get out sort of, yeah, handling the ball twice as well. But you're not going to do that, obviously, on a free hit. But uh, yeah, it's, I don't know, it's a big moment. Well, let, okay, let's let's talk about the stumping then. So was it was it Dinesh Kartik? I'm pretty sure the he grabbed the ball in front of the wickets. Hey, I, I don't think that should have been out. Well, that's interesting. I didn't even see that. But if that's the case, then yes, that's a, a no ball as well. Like that to me looked worse than the one that was called in the Bangladesh and Zimbabwe game. I reckon he, he collected the ball further in front of the stumps. Like the Bangladesh Zimbabwe one was line ball. Like I think it was there. But in hmm. like to me, he he, I don't know. It seemed pretty clear to me that he grabbed the ball in front of the stumps, and I was amazed that they allowed that wicket to stand. Yeah, well, I didn't see that. I have to admit. So that's that's very interesting if that's the case because yes, it has been called and it has been called by the third umpire in the Bangladesh Zimbabwe game. So definitely something that that guy can get involved with. So yeah, big big moment. But look, full credit obviously to India. I mean, they never gave up in that. Kohli played a masterclass. Probably the best T20 innings he'll ever play. He was and fantastic, yeah. Isn't it amazing, though, the difference that makes? Because Pakistan win that, all of a sudden, they're probably right in the mix to make the semifinals. And it puts India a little bit on the, the sort of the back heel. And all of a sudden, India will go through probably fairly comfortably and Pakistan probably miss out. Yep. No, they have no one to blame but themselves. That final over was absolutely disgraceful. Now, speaking of final overs, that Bangladesh Zimbabwe, did you see that? That all I saw was the final over because I heard about how farcical it was. Did you did you see how that one finished? I saw a decent chunk of the last probably five or six overs of that one. Um, but I did go back and have a look at that because yeah, I mean, when you see something as crazy as that going on, you do you have to sort of go back and watch it. Look, Zimbabwe probably didn't really even deserve to be in the game. It was really all just down to Sean Williams. Made 64 or 42. The chase, you know, 150 is probably a below par score for Bangladesh against Zimbabwe. But Zim do have some pretty decent bowlers. 150 is defendable. Yeah. It's, it's defendable, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, look, they needed 16 off the last over. It was a leg by and a wicket. 
with the first two deliveries. So it's looking pretty shaky for, for Zimbabwe. And then Richard Ngarava comes in, four-leg buyers, a massive six. He gets stumped, four needed for a super over. And then Blessing Wazarabani whiffs at one, gets stumped. And as you said, it gets taken in front of the stumps. And we've got a free hit for a no ball. And But prior to that, they've all walked off. They're shaking hands. Everyone's acting like the match is over. People in the stands are cheering. <laughs> there was actually a bit of a delay. They had to get everyone back on the field to re-bowl the last ball, which in the end was basically the same result. The same big, thing, yeah. big swing and a miss. It wasn't a wicket, but yeah, big swing and a miss. So a bit anticlimactic in the end, but geez, Bangladesh dodged a bullet there, a big one. They, they did. I was also going to ask you what your thoughts were on that no ball, the, taking the ball in front of the stumps. Do you like that rule? Oh, absolutely. The, yeah, the, the wiki needs to stay behind the stumps. It's a fairly rudimentary thing. You, you should not be grabbing the ball until it's past the stumps. Plain and simple. No, fair enough. So fair no, enough. I, I think absolutely. And, I, and I'm amazed. I mean, I guess in the heat of the moment, split second decisions and all that, but I'm amazed that it's happened twice in in the same tournament fairly recently. So, yeah. Mm. So, Nath, we're getting down to the wire. It's one game left for all the teams. If you look at Group 1, New Zealand, England and Australia all tied on five points. Sri Lanka's still an outside chance on four. Net run rate's probably going to be an issue for Australia and Sri Lanka. In Group 2, yeah, Group 2, India running away with it, six points. South Africa on five. Pakistan and Bangladesh both on four. Again, run rate could be interesting coming into that. I asked the question beforehand. I'll ask it again. Who you got getting through? Well, hats off to you on the South Africa pick, Stewie, because they're looking pretty good. They had that big win against India here in Perth. How funny was it? Like, the ball was flying through so far that the slipsmen were right on the circle and they couldn't actually field any further back because they would have broken the rules for guys outside of the circle. Yeah. So if it was a test match, they would have been standing further back in the slips, but they just couldn't. So that was a big win for them. And I'd have to say probably England and New Zealand. New Zealand did us no favours, particularly Kane Williamson. Going at mm. a runner ball in T20, it's, it's not enough. He, he was kind of the reason they lost that English match. So yeah, that's the that's probably the semis. Well. That that's yeah. the big thing. There's yeah. forty run a ball for ten, you can kind of get away with, but for forty, that's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He, he's basically just eaten up a third of the innings. I, I can't say I disagree with you. Unfortunately, I think New Zealand and England can't see any reason that they wouldn't pick up full points. No guarantee that Australia will uh, will do anywhere near enough to get the net run rate back to close to what England's at. But uh, yeah, and I think I think India, South Africa in the other group probably have easy enough games to get through. And then there's no guarantee that Pakistan will even beat Bangladesh anyway. So Nath, a couple of quick singles to round out the cricket. Yes, indeed. So bad news first, I guess. Will Pukowski taking time away. That might be his career done before it even really started, which is quite sad. Unfortunately, no real surprise there. I've kind of been feeling like that's going to happen. The good news, I guess, Tess Flintoff made the fastest 50 in WBBL history with a 51 off 16. Sensational effort there. Mm. And I don't know if you've been keeping an eye on the Shields, Chewy, but it's it's been quite interesting. So Queensland and WA over here combined for just 619 across four innings. Queensland managed 211 after a poor start. The fact they even got that far was good, to be honest. They won the first innings points after WA eked out 115 in their first dig. But then the Warriors won with three wickets in hand, chasing 195 for victory after Queensland managed just 97 in their second innings. Contrast that with Victoria and Tassie. The Tigers had 535 in their first innings alone, and the teams combined for just 18 for 1,008. So just 18 out of a possible 40 wickets and over 1,000 runs. 
Oh dear. I actually did watch the end of that Queensland WA match. I, I saw Aaron Hardy's pretty solid knock of 70 not out in the second dig. Yeah, Hardy it, and Cartwright finished well, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Cartwright 69 was incredibly important in that. Just both innings, horrible starts for the, the Warriors. I mean, if you look at the first innings, they were one for two, two for three, three for three at one stage. Second innings wasn't really much better. One for none, two for seven, three for nine. So single figures for their first three wickets in both digs and somehow still managed to win the match relatively comfortably. Yeah, no, I was very surprised to see that, I'll be honest, because I was following it here and there, and then I saw the final, and I was like, oh, wow, okay, good win. Absolutely. All right, Stu, you know what that music means. Final thoughts time. Well, mate, as much as it is great content for us, I almost wish we could get a couple of weeks without any crazy shit happening in the NBL or the NBA. Just guys need to stop doing stupid stuff and just get on with playing basketball and doing what they're good at. Look, a very, very crazy week. Obviously, great stuff happening in the NBL, great stuff happening in the World Cup. Always great to have a chat, though, mate. What are your thoughts? Oh, you're absolutely right there, Stewie. We were trying to not go for too long tonight, and as usual, we have gone for a long time, but plenty to discuss, a lot of fun, too. Until next time, I'm Nate. And I'm Stu. We are the Sportplex.